a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Back Rebels and Imperials to Force Ghost Coast to Coast. My name is Brian, and with me, as always, are Liz and Matt. And we're doing something a little bit different this week. We are looking at the sort of, not even the first half, like the first third of the massive Star Wars comic book crossover, War of the Bounty Hunters. This kicked off uh, in May and is running, I believe, through September. And a little bit of context is necessary here. Now, I am not reading the Star Wars comics every month in and out. I sort of pop in and out here here and there to, to see different things. But there are currently four Star Wars series running, the obviously titled Star Wars. There is a Star Wars Darth Vader. There is Star Wars Bounty Hunters. And there is Star Wars Dr. Aphra. Dr. Aphra is a comics original character that is uh, Darth Vader adjacent. Um Bounty Hunters has a cast of some Bounty Hunters you've seen in comics and and TV and film before and some new ones. Uh, Star Wars follows the sort of main characters of the original trilogy, and Darth Vader shockingly follows Darth Vader. All four of those titles, as they are currently constructed, take place between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, which seems like a really weird time to set a major story, as I mean, at the end of Empire Strikes Back, Luke says to Lando, "We'll meet you at the rendezvous point on Tatooine," and we know that some stuff happens there. But they're planning an event, right? So it can't be <laughs> that long between this time. So I guess where I want to start is: Do we think that this is a little silly to be planning an event to take place between these two movies, Liz? I particularly want to hear what you say about this because you. Of the three of us, you probably are the most, uh, I don't want to say you're movies only because you're not, but you certainly, I think, look to the films as like the primary Star Wars thing, right? So do you think that there is enough time and space to tell a story logically between those two films? That's a great question. And, And to be honest with you, I didn't think too much about it until we just brought it up prior to discussing this, because I guess I was more focused just on the story that was being told in the comic. And, and once we started talking about it, I was like, you know what, that that's a great point. And I, I don't know if now I'm thinking about it in terms of so much that there's enough time but just the fact that no one brings any of this up later on, that, that there's no mention of these events in the subsequent movie. <laughs> I, well, I, I feel like maybe that is where the sticking point is for me okay. now that I think about it. Matt, what do you think about that? I mean, I, yeah, I... It's one of those things like you're reading it like, oh, wow, every major character is involved and the stakes have never been lower because (laughs) there is a timeline that we know happens. um, And I'm conflicted because I, as a middle schooler, loved Shadows of the Empire, which is kind of this whole story involving a different Indiana Jones ripoff hero. Um, and a arguably better crime syndicate. So I don't, I don't know. It, it, it's a weird thing where it, it doesn't make sense for it to be so epically big. And then as Liz said, just be a blip on the radar and then it's just gone. Um, it, it's, it's so desperate to tie in all three of the timelines together um, that it ends up being like, how is this the most important thing that's ever happened, but also is never mentioned again? So I, I think they might just be going a little too heavy-handed with it. I would think that if we were to bring up these concerns to Lucasfilm Limited, what they would say is like, well, you know, we know, you know when Han wakes up from Carbonite, the last thing that he knows is that he was taken from Cloud City in carbonite right 
is are you gonna like tell him right away well actually you went on quite the journey my friend like <laughs> i could understand why they wouldn't necessarily immediately fill him in on these details mm-hmm. and we don't spend that much time with these characters together in jedi like there's not there's no, we don't we don't know how long it takes them to fly from the rebel base to endor but that's pretty much the only time when there may have been like enough enough downtime for them to be like, hey, Han, want to hear what happened to you for the last, you know, few months? So I, mm-hmm. I, I guess I, they would probably say, oh, they talked about it, just did it conveniently off screen, right? Um, mm-hmm. I guess the, I know why this event is happening, and I know why it's happening in this time frame, and it's because Marvel and Disney and Lucasfilm, they all recognize that the original trilogy is the time that people who are let's call them casual Star Wars fans most want to read comics set mm-hmm. in right they want to know what happens to Luke and Leia and Han when we're not when we don't see them on screen I, I totally get that but to me in between two films and, and and not just any two films like in between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens there's a lot of stories to tell yeah mm-hmm. in between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope there's a lot of stories to tell but in between the like it seems like in all the trilogies, the time between two and three is the least amount of time. And so setting any movies or setting any anything between those two films just seems tricky. I mean, The Clone Wars did it as a television series, but you get the sense with The Clone Wars that when you watched episode three, you knew a lot of stuff happened since we last saw those characters. Mm-hmm. It's pretty well implied. Whereas yeah. with this, I mean, you know that Luke got better at being a Jedi in between the time. Yeah, that's kind of all you know, right? He bought black pants. He bought black yeah. pants. Yes, <laughs> all black. Yeah, I, I was gonna say he bought all black, not just the pants. Yeah, well, he's wearing a black jacket at this point in the series, so he he continues to acquire. <laughs> okay, <laughs> he's just on the hunt for some thrift store black outfits. Whenever, yeah, exactly. Whenever they, yeah. whenever they enter a new system, he's like, "Let me just check out the secondhand store here." <laughs> um, okay, so Matt, you wanted to talk about sort of the canonicity of all of this and sort of where this falls. Do you want to have that conversation after we talk about what happens or before we talk about what happens? Yeah, I mean, we can do it before because for me, it's not necessarily any specific action in this. Mm -hmm. Um, But just reading these comics in between, um, you know, the two big movies we see um, and then the idea of like the Bad Batch overwriting some of the Kanan Jarrus comics, I just, it makes me wonder, like, are the comics really part of the story or are they part of the story until we overwrite it with a book and a book is part of the story till we overwrite it with a TV show. I'm just, I'm wondering what your take is. You, you handle these universes a lot. Um, not just star Wars, but you know, Marvel and DC. So what do you think the strategy is here for making things real, I guess in this new universe? Well, I mean, I, I so remind me what stuff the Bad Batch undoes with Kanan's comic. So the opening of Kanan's comic has a very different scene of um, his mentor being killed and him escaping. It doesn't involve the Bad Batch at all. Um, they are on I, maybe even a different planet. Um, and it's at night. They go. They try to kill them as they sleep. His... Um, mentor fights them kills a bunch of them and then lets him escape into kind of the darkness um again a minor retcon but people on the internet obviously blew up in fury over it now for me it just was like i get it but it's a comic and i don't know if dismissing the comics is making them less than or if they really are just kind of something the fill void until something else covers over i would think that there is that there is like there is an internal hierarchy i would Mm -hmm. guess for all of this but i would say that their argument would be that they only retcon stuff sort of for the greater good of the franchise oh yeah and so what they would say is you know well this is a way to tell essentially that same story 
but do so in a more compelling way because it involves these other characters that people are now familiar with. Mm-hmm. And the argument can be made that you know the Kanan comic was not like that didn't set the world on fire in terms of popularity, mm-hmm. so it's not like a ton of people read that comic. Yeah, so I would say that comics probably fall right right around novels in terms of um, canonicity and, and sort of what what the what Lucasfilm wants to they are most comfortable overwriting stuff that happens in a comic or a novel with film stuff. But I will say that they probably would tell you maybe with a straight face that all of this stuff matters Mm -hmm. and that there are ways to connect all of this stuff. And that if there happens to be a retcon now and then that, that stands for retroactive continuity for anyone who's not familiar with that term. If they do retcon something here and there, it's not, it is not necessarily overriding the old story. It is just like sharpening it, sharpening the focus of it. Um, okay. I mean, I they might even say like, and and this is the most pedantic thing maybe I've ever said in my life, but like, could it be that there's a narrator for the Kanan comic who's not Kanan himself? Mm-hmm. And this is the story as he knows it was told. Okay. Or like, did Kanan just because it's this traumatic moment and he's so young, did he construct it differently in his mind? I don't. I don't think that those are good solutions to this. I just think those are the types of things that people might say about this, about these type of stories. Gotcha. Um, again, I don't think those are good answers, but <laughs> it's, it's just just the way it goes with this stuff. Um, yeah, but it does make it. So, it just. With that in mind, when I was reading this, it was like, I, I don't even know if that, like, is this just fun, like, extended universe stuff, or is this actually world building? Because we do see them bring in a ton of stuff from the new and the old trilogies, too. We see um, well, there's so all sorts much of different see. characters. Yeah. So I was like, is this actually connected, or is this just, you know, name dropping? So, okay. So this is really, like, world building in these comics, then. Yes, I would argue that this is an attempt to connect some of the more disparate parts of the Star Wars canon in ways we haven't seen before. So, like, for instance, um, I have a whole list of characters here that we had not ever seen together before. Like, there's a fair amount of characters from Solo in Mm -hmm. this. There yep. are characters from the new trilogy. You know, uh, just in 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 the Star Wars issue from last week, we get uh, mm-hmm. uh, Holdo yep. shows up. We get some original universe, original trilogy people who we only see once. We get Lobot in this, right? Like so, there. Yep. So there is a lot of stuff that that does connect here, and I think it's cool that they do that. My my question always when reading this stuff is like, well, are the, are does the story stand on its own, or does is the story's purpose to just reference this cool stuff? Mm-hmm. And I think that's yeah. sort of still up in the air, depending on how the story plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, go ahead, Liz. That's what I was wondering. You know, is there a larger, um, you know, does someone have a larger plan? Do they want all of these characters referenced and all of these connections between, you know, the original trilogy and Solo and such? Or is it left up to the individuals writing the stories and it just sort of comes together that way? That's a really interesting question. I mean, it seems like for some of these stories... So, like, the Darth Vader comic, I'm not reading right now, but he just went to Exegol in yeah. that comic. Mm-hmm. And that's something from Rise of Skywalker. And so I'm sure that there was a memo. Uh, I'm not sure. I would presume there was a memo around the Lucasfilm offices that says something along the lines of, like, hey, if we can get Exegol into one of these books, that would be great because we want to make sure that we are connecting, you know, the old old and the new together. You know, that sort of thing. Um, but I think sometimes it just makes sense. Like, whenever you do a Lando story of a certain era, L3 is there because of Solo. Mm-hmm. When you do a Lando story of a, of a later era, 
Lobot is there, right? So it, I, I, I think some of this stuff does come about organically, but I also think that like, one of the criticisms that I saw of Solo, which I don't agree with, is people think that that is too detached from the rest of Star Wars, that it, it's sort of, it's an island uh, unto itself, and this really undoes that, right? Yeah. I mean, the main players in this are essentially the characters from from Solo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and Terminator Two. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that in a little while. Um, so, so, so let's start. So, so the, the first the first book in this series is called um, the uh, it, it's the War of the Bounty Hunters Prelude, and these there's going to be I believe five issues of War of the Bounty Hunters that will be coming out monthly, and then in between that we're going to have all of these other stories. So this uh, story. This one is written by Charles Soule, who is the writer of uh, the main Star Wars comic right now. And he's sort of, I, I get the impression he's sort of the showrunner of the Star Wars comics. But in this first issue, we see that uh, Han's carbonite is melting. And that mm-hmm. Boba Fett needs to get that fixed. And he basically... He he basically enters like a a, a tournament of um a, a tournament of death I guess I mean, to, to take a an old uh, kung fu movie title you know <laughs> yeah. um but like he, he and he paints his armor black and he calls himself Django and he um you know he basically uses this he want. I don't even know how to describe it. I, I, I want. I want to. I, it's just kind of dumb. But I, I want to talk about Boba Fett in general here. Like Boba Fett is is pretty boring of a character usually. What did you guys think of Boba in this prelude? I mean, is he any less boring? Is my question. No, he's he's just as boring, but more incompetent than he normally is. <laughs> like I don't. I don't know how he gets swindled so easily. It 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 really boggles my mind. Um and how he's so flat broke that he can't pay this doctor to uh fix up solo or just get him to Java on time. It I don't know. See, I I I felt like he just got out of the deal. I wasn't sure that he got swindled. He was just like, fine, keep your money. And the mm. other guys got swindled, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, they don't have a champion. I don't know. Yeah. But um yeah, I I don't know. I, I don't know if this made Boba Fett any more interesting for me. Um I I you know, I it, it didn't really develop his character much for me, I guess I'll say in, in terms of making him more interesting. It was just, you know, he won another fight. Um you know, he he didn't get the money in the end. Um he also didn't get bamboozled. Um he just walked away, but mm-hmm. yeah, he still doesn't um, he doesn't get Han Solo back either. No, he doesn't. Um, so you know this sets off the events of just you know everybody. Basically, everybody is looking for Han Solo now, right? Everyone, mm-hmm. Jabba's looking for Han. Boba Fett's trying to get Han back. the The rebellion is looking for Han, and so then we get these these four other comics that each tell a little piece of that story. In the Star Wars prelude, there's a couple of things that I just wanted to, to briefly mention. Uh, we get Sagwa, who is one of the Wookiees that they free on Kessel. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a cool little connection. We don't really get a lot of Wookiees showing up in Star Wars media that that have names and or that aren't just directly related to Chewbacca. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, throws of itchy are running through my head. Uh. But, you know, so... <laughs> We, we get Sagwa there. The, here's a question I wanted to ask um, you guys. And Matt, I know you read this issue. They talk about this thing called Kanji. And, like, Kanji is, like, a, a, another crime syndicate here. Mm-hmm. There is something in The Force Awakens called Kanja Club. And that yeah. is one of that's one of the groups that is, like, um, that is looking for Han Solo when he when he's uh, hauling Rathtars. Yeah, they're like I, the Scottish Chinese ones, right? No, I believe, I believe the other, I believe the group that arrives second is Kanji. Oh, okay. I think, um, but 
we think uh, that has to be a reference to it, right? It's weird yeah. there'd be a kanji and a kanji club. Yeah, I, I assumed. I feel like it wouldn't be an accident in the Star Wars universe. Right, yeah. So it's just, it's just very strange that it's not the exact same name. Because I, I guess I, I know that corporations change over time and uh, you know, <laughs> rebranding and whatnot. It just seems like if you're going to make the name that similar, then make it the name. Or if it's not supposed to be the same thing, don't make it that name. This is a Tatooine Dantooine thing. Again. I, I was yeah. just going to mention yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we know four criminal syndicates. You could have made up any other name. Yes. Any literally. Other name. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Hut, Pike, Black Sun, Crimson Dawn. Yep. Come up with anything else. <laughs> exactly. Um, that issue also mentions chain codes, which is not a new thing to Star Wars, but we see that instituted in the Bad Batch. Mm. I think it was yes. episode two or three we see that. So that's another small mm -hmm. connection there. Um, anything to, anything else, Matt, in that in that Star Wars issue you wanted to mention? Not no, not not that first one. I'm trying to remember. We no, should, I think that was pretty. We should really say these preludes are kind of bullshit. <laughs> Almost nothing <laughs> happens in them. Um, <laughs> yeah, specifically the next one, the bounty hunters <laughs> one, where that drops you, that and the Doctor Afro one, which we'll talk about kind of together. They both drop you in the middle of a story that was already going on, mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with this. And only vaguely connects it to War of the Bounty Hunters. Yeah. Well, again, when you, you have a story that you know how it ends. And well, like, like I, I was texting you in the beginning. I was like, why are these preludes? Like, <laughs> right. you don't get any extra info. Like, in the first prelude, the big thing happens. Right. Like, it's not, you know... These comics aren't happening before the school explodes in Civil War, so it's a prelude. Like, the event happened in the prelude somehow, and right. now we shift into the regular comic involving all these characters who none of the other stuff mattered. I don't... I, I, I mean, I think that's just a purely a money-making thing. They just want to boost the sales of all these books. And if they can do it, like, by having the last panel of each comic <laughs> teasing the <laughs> event, then technically it's a prelude? Yeah. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but the Bounty Hunters yeah. story and the Dr. Aphra story have almost nothing to do with the with the event at all. So I don't think we have to say much about them. The Darth Vader stuff, I, I actually really like the Darth Vader comic. The mm. couple issues that I've read of the Darth Vader comic, I think, are maybe among the best like current Star Wars comics. Uh, this is written by Greg Pak, who has actually written some Star Wars novels as well. And I really like the way that he writes. And his Vader is very quiet. Like, okay. Vader just doesn't say a lot in these comics, which is the way that Vader should be mm -hmm. to me, right? Like, you know, you don't want Vader giving soliloquies everywhere. Um, you know, but and we just see a lot of this. This first prelude issue is a lot of flashback. It's a lot of looking at, like, they show us the scenes where... Um, he fights Luke in Empire. Then we see the we see him um, on the like the this the Death Star run when the Death Star gets blown up. We mm -hmm. just you know they they kind of show a lot of moments in Star Wars history, and we see some like another encounter with Vader and Han Solo that we hadn't seen before. There's not a ton in here that's all that interesting for the War of the Bounty Hunter stuff. But I do like seeing Vader kind of fixed up. Yeah, like they they basically show them upgrading Vader's circuitry, and I think that's kind of an interesting thing we don't really see a lot of. I just kind of always presumed that after Revenge of the Sith, I mean, he would obviously get tuned up now and then, but I never thought about him getting like upgraded. I don't know. Um, I know the yeah. costume changes between films a little bit, but I just always took that as like that's just because. They got a new costume designer, or the budget went up, or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, I assume. I never thought about it as like as a as a thing that mattered. Um, does knowing more about like what makes Darth Vader a thing does that interest you guys at all? I a bit. Um, I I feel this is one where I felt like 
I was missing a lot of the story. Um, but I would go back and read the the Vader ones to see. His relationship with the Emperor seems even more um, kind of fraught than the movies let on. Yes. Um, so that, that that's interesting. That that power play and that dynamic is really interesting to me. And how much a Vader is this just kind of robotic slave versus his own independent Sith. I think that that part's interesting. I'll give him that. Liz, do you have any desire to know like about the nuts and bolts, quite literally, the makeup of Darth Vader? I, I feel like no. I, I I don't have any desire to know about the literal uh, nuts and bolts that make up Darth Vader. I, I feel like I might have the same level of interest that Matt does and maybe, you know, more of the larger um, things that make up the man slash machine, but not the literal sort of mechanical pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I thought it was cool that they then introduced um, that uh, the assassin dude, mm-hmm. but he's not who I thought he was. Uh, I thought he was the guy who kills Ray's parents, but that's somebody else who just looks like him. <laughs> um, so I don't know, whatever. I was like, oh, that's awesome to tie that together. It's like, oh, you didn't though. Never mind. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of glad that it's not the same guy, only because we talk about this all the time. How everyone in Star Wars has to be someone's uncle or some shit, you know? <laughs> that's so it, true. It, it's nice to have just like two guys who kind of look similar, you know? Yeah. Matt, you and I are two guys who kind of look similar, so I like the fact that even fair. in a galaxy far, far away, there can be just like <laughs> regular guys who kind of yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I I thought he was gonna be like the stand-in for Vader post, um, you know, Jedi, but uh, he's just another. He's he's another dude who looks like a raisin with robot eyes. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, that that's a relatively common Star Wars look. Yeah, that that is the Star Wars guy with glasses and a beard. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, denizens of Earth twelve eighteen. We are the hosts of Make Mine Multiversity, a twice-monthly podcast, and it is I, Jake, the Taskmaster One. And I'm Elias, the Bendis One. Make Mine Multiversity is your handy guide to all things Marvel. Each month we get into it with long looks at the careers of Marvel creators, characters, themes, whatever. Sometimes that means we dig into the X-Books of the recent-ish months, and sometimes that means figuring out which series is our monthly heavyweight champion. Sometimes we even have lists. And other times we have book clubs on Marvel series, past and present. Coming down by good old Skylaser to your podcatcher of choice every first and third Friday. Excelsior. Excelsior indeed. All right. We already mentioned the Dr. Afro story is not really anything. Uh, War of the Bounty Hunters number one. This is, I would say, the most compelling of all of the comics we read for this. Just because of the mystery that resolves, and again, spoiler alert for anyone who might be listening to this who hasn't read it, but we find out that Crimson Dawn is still around, the crime syndicate from Solo, and Mm -hmm. we find out that not only is Crimson Dawn still around, but Kira, Han's one-time lover, she is still running Crimson Dawn. So she has succeeded. She has survived after Darth Maul's death, which would have happened a number of years before this uh, based on its its timing in rebels um and so you know th- this this is this is the furthest we've come with this character we've never seen kira outside of solo and now we're seeing her a good probably 10 years after solo does that sound about right timeline wise yeah yes it seems so yeah right Liz, what did you think of Kira yeah. showing up here? I, I enjoyed it. I, I felt like that sort of made this whole comic for me. And um, I, I think that's a story I'd like to explore, see more of. And just the way their lives go, Kira and Han Solo, it seems to make sense that they would encounter each other at some point later in time. You know, a crime syndicate and a smuggler, I feel, would cross paths. Um, so it made me curious to see, you know, uh, what would happen or if they even would meet each other. You know, obviously in um, episode six, that does not happen. But um, right. yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. I enjoyed it. So help, help me think about the timeline here for a second, guys. 
So we yeah, see, I'm, I'm, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm not sure. We see, do we ever, we see Lando and Kira interact, mm -hmm. but we never see Lando and Crimson Dawn interact in Solo, right? Like he, he is picked up after they have already, um, after they have already like, uh, been tasked on their mission by by uh is it Vaden Dross is that his name Dryden Voss Dryden Voss I had it I had it I spoonerized it I had it backwards yeah. Dryden yeah. Voss um so like this happens after they're sent on their mission by him that's when they find Lando so Lando says in one of these later issues like oh I have experience with them they're bad dudes essentially and I wonder if that is a clue to maybe what the Lando TV series will be. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. You know, we don't know when that series is taking place, but I mm -hmm. would presume that at least part of it would be Donald Glover focused. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so maybe we're going to see how Lando and Crimson Dawn interact there. That would be, I think, a very useful thing because I think a lot of people want more from Solo, but don't really want another movie. Okay, and yeah. So this yeah. way you could use Han, you could use young Han, you could use Kira, mm -hmm. you could use Donald Glover, but it wouldn't necessarily need to be Solo 2. Yeah, because mm -hmm. the next time you encounter him, he's raising balloon pigs. In, uh, was that Clone Wars or Rebels? <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. I just have never heard it phrased that way. And it really tickled me. Did it tickle you think? It did, yes. Um is that Rebels? Well he's I think that's Rebels. He, wouldn't he be isn't he kind of a kid in that? Oh. No, maybe it is Clone Wars. I can't remember. I can't yeah. either. But... but at some point, then when we encounter him, he's that's a that's his current scheme. So yes, but yeah, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> I would love to see more about the Crimson Dawn and everything because obviously mm -hmm. something happens because Crimson Dawn is in effect at the end of Solo, and is in effect at the end of Clone Wars too, right? Yes, because is is. Is Maul representing Crimson Dawn or Black Sun at the end of Clone Wars? I can't Black remember. Black Sun. Okay, so he has absorbed Crimson Dawn into his empire. Yes, I would say that sounds accurate. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is the reemergence of um, Crimson Dawn as its own entity. Well, no, because at, at the end of... I would argue that Solo takes place after Clone Wars does. True. It yeah. has to because because Han joins the Imperial Navy or whatever, and there wasn't an empire at the end of Clone oh, yeah. Wars. Yeah, and that yeah, so there. So I was. Oh yeah, there's a I whole would... another small storyline we haven't touched on again. Right. Exactly. So okay. I would, I would say that when we see Maul in Solo, it is essentially after after everything that happens in Clone Wars for mm -hmm. sure maybe after some stuff in Rebels uh I don't think so I think it's a tight timeline in Rebels yeah so so maybe it's just in between the two but regardless yeah. so I, I, I okay I think, that yeah that so I think it makes sense that Crimson Dawn would have s subsumed Black Sun mm -hmm. not the other way around Gotcha. Yeah. However, that works. Again, we, we <laughs> corporate rebranding. Yes, ex exactly. Just, there, there was restructuring. Some people were let go. There were there were redundancies. Um, right sizing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but so I, I do find Kira a really interesting character to pop up here, mm -hmm. and I'm pretty glad that she did. Yeah, I, she's someone I never really expected to see again. Yeah. Do we think that there's a place for her? Like, logically, is there a place for her beyond this? Or is this going to be... Do we think this is going to be the one and only sort of Kira story? Mm 
Hmm. I mean, considering Boba Fett gets back <laughs> solo, I don't think so. I mean, maybe there's like a compelling story because uh, we assume she's evil, but she might not be. Um, so I think there's good things that can happen with her in the context of the story, but I don't know if she continues beyond it. Because part of me, sorry, Liz, what were you going to say? Yeah, I, I, I was going to just echo, I, I think, what Matt said. I, I I can't picture her story going much further, um, unless maybe she had some sort of standalone, but I don't think there's that much interest in Kira as a character. Hmm. So what I was thinking about was, like, you know, as we've seen in The Mandalorian, when the Empire falls, it sort of becomes a no-man's land like basically all bets are off everything is if not legal you can find a way to get whatever you need there is this like it's the perfect time to be a kind of shady character yeah and so on one hand the leader of a crime syndicate is like the perfect she would she would she would thrive in the post empire world mm-hmm. and so i think there could be some interesting stories told of her in that sense of like you know how did crimson dawn did crimson dawn survive the fall of the empire if so how and by what means did they do so i think mm-hmm. that there there is an interesting story to tell there i just don't know if we're ever going to get that story i kind of yeah. think like matt said i think this is going to be the last kira story yeah it doesn't mean there can't be another kira story it just means that chronologically I feel like this is the last Kira story like we can still go back and tell yeah. stories between this these, these mm-hmm. times I just don't know if we're ever going to see anything beyond this yeah I could see uh, a story about her um, you know putting back together Crimson Dawn clawing it back from you know non-existence to being a player big enough to tackle the huts um, but I don't I don't know much more than that. I think we can go backwards, not forwards. Yeah. Unless it ends with her basically just escaping by the skin of her teeth. I think there has to be a big confrontation between her and Maul I mean, her and Boba Fett here. Mm-hmm. That just seems yeah. like it's it's building up to that, right? That's what this is all about. Yeah. Um let's see, what else is in my notes about this this issue? Um they, they they kind of put a really fine point on the fact that Han connects the universe, like yes. that everybody everybody kind of knows Han and that he's this just sort of like his role in the universe is just to connect people, and I think that's a little bit silly and maybe simplistic, but because he's a smuggler and just a general scoundrel, I guess he would probably have interactions with lots of different kinds of people. So it's not like implausible. I think it's I think it's way less silly than if it was like R two D two controls the universe, right? <laughs> the universe. Like that just seems yeah. dumb to me. Whereas like Han Solo, actually, there's enough logic behind it where you could say like, well, you know, he is a smuggler, and so maybe he had a job for this person and ran into this person or whatever. And I feel like he's the kind of like infamous person where you heard a story about him and it's been passed along. Yes. Yeah. He, yeah. Well, and he, he's very much, um, my big best comparison on a comic wise, like Wolverine. He just pops up everywhere. Yep. Um, you know, like he saved me when I was a little kid, you know, he did this favor for my mom. He double crossed me and I hate him. And it's like, Yep, but he's been everywhere because that's just what he does. I like that. That's that's his role. Yeah, I, I didn't think they had to say it quite as as plainly as they did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the two, two page spread where they literally just say it. Yeah, it was very direct. Like, I, I think we I think we all pretty much figured that out before that. Say <laughs> name of movie here. Oh look, name of book. Name of movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exactly. The war of the bounty hunters has begun. Yes. No, it, it, it would be begun the bounty hunter war has because they because George Lucas loves slightly changing the names of things in his movies and books. So uh, we all we all know that old chestnut. Oh man. Um. So then when we get into the sort of the part one sub chapters here, 
we get, we meet this character, and again, if you're reading the Bounty Hunters book, you know who Valance is. I wasn't reading it, so I don't know who Valance is. <laughs> but he's essentially like cyborg Han Solo. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's kind of a scoundrel. He's a bounty hunter. He's a cyborg. Apparently, he and Han used to be friends, and something went wrong, and Chewbacca wants to kill him. But essentially, they come to an understanding. Chewbacca says, yeah. "If you hurt Han, I'll fuck you up," um, and that's about it. That that's to me, that's yeah. really the only thing of note from the from the bounty hunters issue here. Yeah, and he's like, but he's also working with Dengar, who's also a cyborg. Yes, but basically a cyborg. I don't, I don't know, because he has a he has a robot brain, Dengar. Right. Hmm. That's why he wears a turban because you know. 1980s <laughs> um but yeah that that just seemed i don't i don't know why that exists i maybe it'll play a role in later but whatever yeah um it, it seems like there's probably going to be one big thing with the bounty hunters but they didn't want to do they didn't want to just have one issue crossover they wanted to have all the issues crossover and so this is yeah. what we get. Could could it yeah. be a war? <laughs> Perhaps war. it could be war. Isn't isn't that yeah. the first word of the episode three uh, scroll? Yes. Very large. Yes. War. <laughs> yeah. All right. well, we've we've already removed Zuckus and um, Forlom from the war. Yes. What what happens to them exactly? Do you recall? Um, Forlom has his. Ooh, is it Forlom or Zuckus? Whichever one is the robot has his head chopped off and Boa Fett uses it to find the coordinates to maybe Dengar. Um, and the insect one, I think, just gets thrown off a platform. So, Yeah, I mean, I would not, I would not count on either of those characters being, like, gone from Star Wars because... Oh, no, no, no. Just, I think they're back. out of the running for right yes, now. Yes, I agree. Yeah. They were, they were well, especially because of... it's... Yeah, they're they're bebop and rock steady of this uh, this <laughs> cast at this point. <laughs> uh, bebop and rock steady. Yeah, what Not I am it. excited for is the eventual um, the event. Oh, you know what? Okay, here's an interesting point. I'm excited for the eventual introduction of Bosk, but if we follow the earlier in book canon. Bosk would not be involved in this war unless it's to save Han Solo because his brother or his sister who is now a friend of the Wookiees told him to let go of that bounty oh that's true this yeah. would be a very good test for the theory about canonicity yeah because it would make a great comic to have him because I don't it's kind of between him and IG-88, which one is a splashier, you know, bounty hunter villain. You know, they're both ultra-violent. They're both very lethal. Um, so having him pop in would be a normal comic book thing to do. But yeah, the, the books already kind of put the kibosh on that. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so in the next issue of Star Wars proper, we see... Um, the eventual Vice Admiral Holdo, who gives Leia the information that Han is no longer with Boba Fett, that he is with Crimson Dawn, and she gets Lando to join the hunt. Now, what I really... I, there was one part of this issue I really liked, which is that I feel like we hear about Lando being a scoundrel more than we see Lando being a scoundrel. But here we absolutely see Lando being a scoundrel. Yeah, um, it's finally not just because he's black. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, we see that he he smuggles a droid a, a, onto the Millennium Falcon and basically opens the airlock and just sends it into space because he owes the he owes something to Jabba the Hutt, and so he takes this job both to help Han and also to sort of like smooth things out with Jabba and so he opens the airlock lets it out only to realize that this thing is able to help so Lobot apparently has been rendered mute at some point here 
and that this droid they realized too late could help Lobot speak again, and so then they want to go back and and pick him up from from just floating in space, and that doesn't happen, obviously. No. Yeah, I was very confused. I like was I supposed to know what happened at Lobot? Like, that's not that's in a comic somewhere. That's not in the films, right? That must be from this Star Wars series before this. Okay, okay. Yeah, they That's scrambled what... his brain and something gave him braids for some reason. Yes, he is, he basically looks like he was just in Jamaica on vacation. <laughs> yeah. and came back no. with braids. Um... Everything is not A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're on fire tonight, Matt. I am. I, these <laughs> afternoon recordings really just are full of pep. They bring out the best in you. They really do. Yeah. Um, Anything to say about that issue, Matt? No, I I like that. Um, finally seeing Lando, you know, as not necessarily a double crosser, but he does have his own agenda. Um, and I like that. Uh, made him makes him one of the more interesting characters in the Star Wars universe, honestly, because he's not one dimensional. Um, so that that was cool to see. The yeah. rest of it, I felt like I was like. Because I haven't been reading the Star Wars series, I felt like I was missing a bunch of information. Um, it just felt like we we went one step forward in the story, but you know, got really nowhere in it. I which is that. weird. Yeah, yeah. And the last issue that is out as of this recording time, which just came out on Wednesday, is the the second installment of the Darth Vader part of this crossover, which is, I just want to get the numbering right here. I, I realize I haven't been saying these numbers. I should probably be telling people like which, which issues we're talking about here. This would be Darth Vader number. Hang on. It shouldn't take me this long to pull up the picture. Darth uh, Vader number 13. Um, which is wild. This is the this is the craziest comic we've read as part of this. Liz, I know you didn't have time to read this one yet. This might be worth going back and reading. Ooh, all right. I don't want to say too much for that reason. It's also it'll be just two days old by the time this podcast drops on Friday, so I don't want to say too much. But I will just say that in this issue, somebody is able to basically hack into the mechanical parts of Darth Vader. And, like, force his body to do things he doesn't want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you think of that, Matt? I I thought that was crazy. I think we, we've never really addressed the robotic portion of Darth Vader. Um, so to see it used as a weakness um, is really, really powerful and, and sets up the other characters who then get revealed to be involved as maybe far more powerful than we give them credit for. Um, so it, it does add in a few layers of very interesting um, stuff. So should we say who those characters are or no? You know, if, if you knew who those names were, you certainly could. I, I don't um, know the names either. Yeah. I, I can, I can do like a guess who I could tell you. <laughs> 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 no hair, tentacles. <laughs> like, yeah. I <don't... laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely a, a Twi'lek in there, right? Um, yeah. But th- there are these again. This is the this is the downside of, of not reading these comics monthly. But I also think it's important. Like, you know, one of the things that a friend of mine who owns a comic shop says is that every comic is someone's first comic. Mm-hmm. Like whether it's you know you're with you're at a friend's house and they have a comic you're reading or you go into this comic store and the cover catches your eye. So every comic should be hypothetically able to, to bring you into a story without too much trouble. But some Mm -hmm. of these, some of these star Wars comics really stretch that theory. Yeah. Uh, This one doesn't so much. I said, there is those characters at the end. You, we have, they, they they appear to be very, very important characters, and maybe folks who are reading this every month are screaming at their iPhones right now, like mad at us for not knowing who these characters are. Yeah. Um, but they're this this issue I think is like almost the platonic ideal of a Star Wars comic. Because mm-hmm. it gives us new information about the characters that we know. It puts them in situations we haven't seen before, and it mm-hmm. asks questions that I want to see eventually answered. Yeah. 
it's shocking how many times those things don't happen in these comics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I, 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 I very it. much enjoyed it. It, it was, it was pretty crazy. We also get a lot of IG eighty eight, and um, you know, I think the IG units in general have been getting more love since IG eleven showed up on the Mandalorian. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, it, it is nice to see this sort of classic bounty hunter character mm-hmm. show up here. And it's also interesting, like we were saying before, we don't really ever think about the mechanical aspects of Darth Vader. I mean, I know that Obi-Wan says at one point he's more machine than man now, but mm-hmm. that's kind of all we ever get. Yeah. Yeah, and like, and again, I think, too, you mentioning the writer of Vader on the comic books, I think we do see very different versions of Vader in the series. Um, like, the... For me, the most terrifying version of Vader is in Rebels, where he's seen as almost, you know, a robotic zombie. Um, very powerful, very scary. And other times we see him as this, like, you know, pathetic wimp, you know, kneeling to the Emperor. So finding a, this tone for him is pretty interesting. I like this take. Yeah, it's very different than what we see in the films, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I, I would say this is maybe more in line with some of the novels we've seen from uh, with Vader before. Like, mm-hmm. Vader and the Emperor, if you didn't know better, you would think that their relationship is at least superficially good in the films. Yeah. You know, even though he tells Luke, like, let's, let's run the galaxy together, essentially, you... When you watch that, at least when I used to watch it as a kid, I felt like that was more of Vader wanting to bring his son into the family business than yes. it was being against the Emperor necessarily. Yeah. Right? Does yeah, that, and then yeah, knowing that that was part of a you know decades-long plan to overthrow him, um, yeah, you don't really have the context for that in the film. It doesn't right. feel like that. No. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's it it's the this event is there are parts of it that are fun. I I think it's something that's it's relatively digestible for us to discuss. You know, there's there's not a ton of stuff you needed to uh, needed to read ahead of time. Although we're showing that you know, any context you can bring to this is probably good. What yeah. I always wonder when I'm reading something like this is, are there people who, for instance read the comics but haven't seen Solo mm. and so are wondering who the hell this Kira character is Are there, it's always interesting to me to think about the different contexts in which people in, engage with these characters yeah that's interesting I hadn't thought about that yeah this is your first introduction to her it certainly wouldn't feel I mean that that's how I felt when when I saw Solo in the movie theater like I, I think that most people got that it was Darth Maul, mm-hmm. or just Maul rather. But they, they know him as Darth Maul, right? But yeah. If you it's had, like, oh, it's that guy from the first movie, right? If you have, if you have watched Clone Wars and Rebels, that takes on so much more significance. But I would say that I mean, at least half the people seeing Solo, probably a much greater percentage than that, has have never watched Clone Wars or Rebels. Yeah. And so I know that Star Wars occasionally does reward the really dedicated fan with references like that. But you have to, I mean, I have a very good friend who likes Star Wars who's never seen Solo because he, mm-hmm. he's not a big Han Solo guy. And he's like, yeah. well, I, I don't want to, I don't want to waste my time with that movie. So when we, we were in a group chat and someone was like, did you see the end of uh, War of the Bounty Hunters part one? And he was like, yeah, who is that? <laughs> you know, so these things do happen. So I I just find it very interesting to see like who you know how people relate to these stories when they're not necessarily familiar with all of the moving pieces. Mm-hmm. So I I don't think we should necessarily keep up with this like month to month, but I think maybe maybe we'll commit to reading like all of the main issues, just the the War of the Bounty Hunters miniseries. Yeah. And talk about that when it, when it wraps up. And if we, I'll keep I'll keep you guys abreast of of the new issues or whatever in case you do want to follow along. But if not, I think just reading the main series is probably plenty. 
Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Liz, the question I want to ask you as the mm-hmm. least comic uh, frequent <laughs> reader of us, what did you think about sort of the just the experience of reading these Star Wars comics? Um, I, it was enjoyable. I, I feel like something about, um, I, I don't know. I, for some reason, comics to me are um, an unusual read. And I don't know if it's because I grew up, I mean, I, because I grew up reading novels. I, I don't know what it is, but something about the way in which they are set up sometimes throws me for a loop it like unhinges my brain a little bit (laughs) okay um and not in a way that's bad but i feel like in a way that is different yeah it's just it's Um, it's a different reading experience it is yeah and as someone that you know also you know I guess earns a living by teaching novels it's a whole other thing as well but i enjoyed i enjoyed reading the comics um you know i thought they were um I guess I, I'm not sure how exactly to evaluate comics ultimately, but I did enjoy uh, reading them. I thought they were easy to follow um, and such, but I did enjoy it. One of the difficulties for me with Star Wars comics in particular is that you're asking the artist to do two things. You're asking the artist to tell a story visually, which is already a difficult thing to do, but you're also asking them to make the characters look in a way where someone can open this comic and say, that's Luke Skywalker, right? But I think that, you know, some artists aren't as good at doing, like, photorealistic work. And that's not that's not saying they're not good artists. Most of my favorite comic art is much more impressionistic than photorealistic, right? So sometimes you're you're looking at a Star Wars comic and you're like, oh, my God, that's Leia. Because <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't instantly read like Leia. But I also think it's unfair to ask these artists to basically be caricature artists. Yeah, and I think that's part of what throws me sometimes too, is a lot of times when I approach comics, it's a comic of something I'm already familiar with. Right. And sometimes, you know, and that I think that's the nature of comics. Like you said, you know, it's not exactly the same. And sometimes there are different interpretations of characters, um, you know, whether they're superheroes or Star Wars. And I think that's something else that throws me for a loop sometimes. <laughs> Eventually, I, th- I think you get used to it a little bit more. There used to be a guy mm-hmm. named, named Salvador LaRocca who did Star Wars comics, and I think he basically just traced his TV. Like, he, <laughs> you would you would see characters not just look exactly as they look in the films, but also, like, posed as the way they were in certain scenes. Wow. And it was just, I thought that was really distracting. It almost yeah. looked like he would draw the comic without faces, and then, like, Photoshop in the faces. Mm. Yes, oh. I don't think I would like that either. That seems... Yeah, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> it was yeah. not good at all. Like, I actually <laughs> think that when you're looking at most of these characters, like, the that's one of the reasons I think the Vader comic works so well is because Vader always looks like Vader, right? Yeah. It, it, it's, hard to, uh, it, it's hard to make Vader look bad. But I think that for the most part, like, the, the, the Star Wars issues themselves, I think, look pretty good i think the characters look enough like their film counterparts that you know who they are but they're not slaves to making it look perfect mm-hmm. yeah one thing matt i wanted to mention to you because i know that, that that you uh likely noticed this too in this in this luke skywalker issues luke is using like an orange lightsaber right now yeah and there's yeah, a story it, from prior in the comics that I have not read where he finds this lightsaber. Yeah, he finds it somewhere, um, which is interesting. Which makes more sense for him using a uh, um, a um, what is it, like a guardian lightsaber. Uh, but I am interested to see both the story of him getting that one and the story of him making his new lightsaber. Right. So. Well, I, I thought that I, my joke when I heard that the Star Wars comics were going to take place between Empire and Jedi, I said, like, get ready for 30 issues of Luke with a tool, just like building yeah. a lightsaber, because I don't know what other stories there were to tell, but apparently there yeah. are these apparently, stories to tell. finding the Rebel fleet is an issue. I didn't realize that was a problem. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I guess it's, it would probably be if you lost communication with them, like they're not going to be publicly broadcasting because they're rebels, right? Mm-hmm. So that makes sense, I guess. Um, yeah, it seems like the Marvel Star Wars comics. So the first couple of years of them were all between A New Hope and Empire, 
Now this next batch is all between Empire and Jedi. My question is, like, I don't, I don't think they're ever going to stop telling stories set in between these films to a certain degree, because I think that, especially with the way that technology is moving right now, like we saw essentially post Return of the Jedi, Luke Skywalker in the Mandalorian for the first time, right? We like mm-hmm. aside from the flashback in the Last Jedi. That's the first time we've ever seen on a screen Luke after he gets um, after he dis- kills the Emperor or not kills the Emperor, after he after he brings down the Empire and before the Force Awakens. We just see a flashback. That's it. And so we saw that in the Mandalorian. So I feel like they're gonna want to leave those stories for future storytellers to tell, especially if they're gonna do more CGI chicanery. So I don't know if we're ever going to see, like, big stories set in the comics after Return of the Jedi. But to me, that's such a more interesting period of time than this is. Mm-hmm. Agreed. For so many reasons. Yeah, I think The Mandalorian is showing us how awesome of a timeline that is. Right. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. I don't know with what yet. Maybe we'll check in with the Bad Batch again. Maybe we'll read something else i'm not sure we'll figure it out but thank you for listening as always um go to multiversitycomics.com for all your comics needs and lots of star wars stuff too we are recapping the bad batch every week and uh we just found out that in a couple of weeks there's going to be the uh anime expo and that anime expo they're going to give a first look of the star wars visions animated anime series which is still on track for this year so that that's a good thing as well um, but you can find more about that at, multiver- at multiversitycomics.com. And uh, remember, until next time, the Force will be with you always. 